So your plans have been blocked. You lost your job. You lost your wallet. Here's a question for you. What does this make possible? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, good afternoon, good morning, whenever it is you're listening to this. This is Dan Miller, and yeah, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show. Where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into real life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, stick with us. This is where indecision, normal, and ambiguity come to die. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. Well, what does this make possible? We're going to look at that in a couple different ways today because it comes up repeatedly in questions that are asked. Here's one. Dan, the dealership I'm at has just changed their pay plan and all the salespeople are bummed out about it. I guess this was the motivation I needed to look for work at another dealership. All right. How about this one? How do you differentiate between naysayers and whiners versus realists and intuitionists? Great question. Dan, are we too scattered? Do we have too many things going on to do any of them well? Well, that's a common malady. We'll look at how you can streamline what you're doing to be more effective. Dan, I know I have a lot of good ideas, but I'm having trouble keeping myself motivated. Great question. What does it take to keep yourself motivated and moving forward when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're not seeing the, the quick results that you wanted? Dan, I want to use my associate's degree in accounting, but fear that I will not make as much as I'm now making working in a steel shop. And I've got some great news. Good news. We're going to be sharing that as well. As I promised last week, we would start to do weekly. Well, here's our quotation for the week. It comes from Dr. Seuss. It ties in beautifully with what we're going to be talking about today. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. I love that. I love the simple philosophy of Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Well, these are real life questions we're going to be looking at. If you got a question, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Come right to me. You can go to the Ask Dan link on 48days.com if you want to, and you can leave an audio message there or put it in the little form, but most of you know that it's easiest just to shoot a direct email to me at askdan at 48days.com. Now here's our poem for today. Comes from Cliff Feitner, who is writing poems. He did 48 poems based on the 48 days to the work you love. Did those, laid those out for, for each of the 12 chapters, but he keeps adding more and more. This guy is just a volcano of humor and wisdom put together in poems. So here's the one that ties in to what we're talking about today. So this is Cliff's poem. Does the place of your working career just serve to keep money near? Do you think you're a slob just working a job and to lose it is your biggest fear? Is that cool or what? That is so great. 
the way that that's put together. So poignant and so true where people are concerned that, um, gee, they're going to lose their paycheck. And that's the primary motivation to keep them going in the job they have. Not unexpected, nothing wrong with that, but it's a starting point. If that's the only thing keeping you there, you better be looking at a better plan because ultimately money is never enough compensation for investing your time and energy. I see people who are making $10 an hour and people who are making a million dollars a year who are responding in the same way. They hate the life they've created. They hate the work they're doing. They want to get out of it. Believe me, if you hate your job making $10 an hour, making $20 an hour is not necessarily a cure. It may be a temporary band-aid to make you feel better, but unless you really address this idea of having work that is meaningful and purposeful, it won't last. Well, hey, let's look at some good news items here. Here's one. This comes from San Antonio. And the the lead in is a stranger swaps pants with high school graduates so he can join his peers. Now this, I'm a little surprised that this actually happened, but Leroy Solis Jr. was set to graduate from MacArthur High School in San Antonio, Texas last Wednesday. And he was stopped by a school representative saying that he would not be allowed to cross the stage if he was wearing jeans. Uh, it seems a little strange, but uh, apparently they have a dress code and he would not be allowed to wear jeans, even though he had on a full robe. Well, he had didn't really have another pair of pants. I mean, his dad's on a fixed income. He really couldn't afford new pants. And he thought, well, he'll just let this slide. But no, they told him he couldn't cross the stage and essentially sent him home. He had about three minutes to get in the lineup. So here's what happened. He walked back to his car, but in the parking lot came across a young man about his same height and size. He proceeded to tell that kid that he needed slacks to walk across the stage. Without any hesitation, the young man said, yes, dropped his drawers, gave them to the kid. They swapped pants. He got back in line and walked across the stage with his slacks on. I I love it just because it's a great story about the good in humanity. You know, there's good all around us. If we just look for it, if we expect it, that's what we're going to find. And in this situation, absolutely. Find somebody that's about the same size, swap pants, got him graduated with his peers. Well, here's here's one that comes from uh, Colorado. There was a, uh, a couple missing hikers and they got lost. They were out too far. They called 911, requested that they get help to get out. They knew night was coming on. Well, they started a search team that went out about 4.15 p.m. By 6 p.m., they had made visual contact with the hikers, led them down so they had a successful four-hour search and rescue. The reason they were able to spot them so quickly is because they used a drone. Now think about that. I mean, I love the idea that drones are out there. They're useful for all kinds of things. You can get better pictures of real estate properties. You know, there's, it's not just fun. They're being used for a lot of reasonable kind of things. But in this, I mean, to get a helicopter, I mean, somebody really has to be in dire trouble before they can justify bringing in a helicopter, which costs about $2,000 an hour. But a drone, my gosh, I mean, a drone costs essentially nothing. And in using a drone, they were able to get visual contact with the hikers to see where they were and very quickly brought this search and rescue mission to a successful close. Great example of just new technology being used in a very 
profitable and a very effective way. Oh, here's a note that says father surprises son with birthday gift from beyond the grave. Now there's a video up of this, but 16 year old Johnny Crow had been grieving over his 49 year old dad's death since the heart attack struck back in April. Uh, Johnny didn't know until last week, however, that his father left something special that'll help him remember the relationship through the music. Now, here's the deal. Johnny's 20-year-old sister, Chandler, picked her brother up from school last Wednesday, took him to the Port Huron Music Center in Michigan. It's a music center where Johnny has been taking guitar lessons. Chandler then handed Johnny a birthday card from their father, now deceased recently, heart attack, unexpected, wishing the teen a happy birthday and expressing the hope that he would enjoy the gift. So then the music store workers revealed a guitar case containing a Dean Razorback guitar, the exact model that Johnny had always wanted. Johnny's dad knew that he always wanted that. He ordered the guitar back in January, and then the music center had been keeping it under wraps until Johnny's birthday got here. But what a, what a cool thing. Now, that story got out. And again, this is not a wealthy family at all. And the community heard the story of how Johnny's late father had left him a guitar after his death like that, the way that it worked out, and started asking how they could make donations toward Johnny's guitar lessons. Now, these are the kind of things that you could not orchestrate, but Johnny's music teacher came forward and explained that the music store had a PayPal account, and anyone wanting to financially contribute to his lessons could submit a donation with a caption reading, Happy Birthday, Johnny. They've had over $16,000 that have been donated. So now the family is consulting with an attorney friend on how best to use the money for Johnny's livelihood. Um... Also got some other things, but, you know, people just, wow, donated because they heard the details of the situation. Absolutely. It's wonderful to be involved in those kind of things. Here's another one. Here's another musical story. This comes from Montreal where a homeless guy's violin was stolen. I mean, the the guy says, I talked to God this morning and said, I cannot live without my violin. So on Tuesday morning, just this last Tuesday morning, Mark Landry awoke to a horrible discovery. His beloved violin, one of his few earthly possessions and a primary source of his livelihood had been stolen. So, you know, he's homeless, but he would play his violin. People would put money in a cup. That's how he made his living surviving. But he's been a familiar face to Montreal residents who have enjoyed his violin playing in metro stations around the city for quite a few years. This week, he put up a new sign where he sits and just had simply the words violin stolen. Now, what he didn't know is that there were people who would see that, put it on Facebook, it went viral, and and somebody put it on Facebook, said in the hope that a good Samaritan has a violin to give. Well, that Facebook post caught the eye of the Metropolitan Opera, an orchestra there in Montreal, the CEO told the Washington Post that they were really touched by the story because they knew about this guy. They knew that he'd been playing in the subway for the last six or seven years. I mean, this person was a person who played music, they said. So they approached a violin shop owner, worked out the details, and purchased a brand new violin for this homeless guy. You know, again, just a great story. It reminds me of the movie The Soloist. 
that came out a few years ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. What Jamie Foxx, Robert Downey Jr., based on the true story of Nathaniel Ayers, who was a musician who developed schizophrenia and became homeless. So this very gifted musician, but he was homeless. But without his violin to play, you know, he would, it would really cause him to d- deteriorate. You know, sometimes those people we see who are homeless have unique gifts in a particular area that make them geniuses. It's just that they don't adapt to life real well. Well, it goes on. Well, you know, last night I was um, eating dinner with a couple friends who were in town for Ray Edwards conference. I was eating dinner with Jody Mayberry, who does several podcasts, and um, also with Mike Kim, the name that a lot of you are familiar with in the 48 Days community. Well, Mike joined us there. Jody and I were already sitting there eating dinner, and then Mike joined us and sat down, and he says, you know what? He said, I left my wallet on the airplane. Well, think about that. You know, these days, leave your wallet, all the credit cards. He had uh, gotten a significant amount of cash out because he's going to be away from home for a couple of weeks here and left it on the plane. Well, tried to call. And of course, it was difficult. Didn't get through to anybody. Uh, there was a recording that suggested he fill out a form. And he was trying to fill out the form on his phone, not having much luck doing that. And we talked about the idea that, you know, what does this make possible? What does this cause him to do now? that he would not have done otherwise. What does this allow him to see as possibilities that he would not have seen otherwise? So we were just talking about it in that way. Well, we finished, you know, he knew that he would contact, ultimately be able to contact the airlines and assuming that probably his wallet down in the side pocket in his seat, which he remembered putting it there, had probably gone on another immediate flight and who knows where it was somewhere in America. At this point, we got in my car and it was kind of, a, it was a chain of events that we could never have orchestrated or planned because I was not driving my Corvette. My Corvette was in just yesterday to get a couple little things done. And so they kept it overnight. I didn't have a chance to go pick it up. So I had driven Joanne's car, which is an SUV. So I said, well, hey, I'll give you guys a ride back to your Airbnb. They were several blocks away, but they graciously agreed. You know, they accepted my ride. So we were able to jump in Joanne's car because it had enough seats for them rather than the two seats that I would have had had I been driving my own car. We just got in my car. We're still in the parking lot of the restaurant. And Mike got an email from an executive at United Airlines who said they had his wallet. And his immediate response, how did they know my email? They had found his wallet, took his name, looked up his reservation, took the information from there. And personally, this gal personally emailed him and put in her personal cell phone number so he wouldn't have to go through corporate phone system to try to get in touch with her. He immediately called her. She said, I've got your wallet right here. If you want to swing back by, you, you can pick it up. Well, we did. We were already in my car and Mike said, well, I'll just call Uber and we'll, and he'll go back to the airport. And I said, well, no, you won't. We're already in my car. My goodness. We'll just swing back out there. So we drove back out to the airport. He got his wallet. Great conclusion to that. But in the meantime, you know, we looked at, we started looking at the things. What does this make possible? 
What are the other things that you thought about that you would never have thought about had that not happened? Now he's wanting to have that young lady on his podcast to talk about the amazing customer service that he received. And as you know, airlines are kind of getting bashed right now, but to talk about the amazingly good customer service that he got in a situation where they could have just put it through normal corporate channels and ultimately how yeah, he get it back. But you know, this way he got it back immediately. Of course, all the money was in there. Everything was intact just as he had left it. Well, let's go into some other questions that are going to kind of expand on this as well. This comes from well, he says, please try not to use my name. So we'll call him. We'll call him Dave. So Dave says, Dan, really appreciate your show. The dealership I'm at has just changed their pay plan and all the salespeople are bummed out about it. I guess this was just the motivation I needed to look for other work or another dealership. I think I know what you're going to say. Rather than looking at this as a downer, perhaps I should see this as a blessing in disguise because now I can find another dealership that will pay me better. Thanks for all you do. Well, Dave. What does this make possible? Here's where I would go with this. You are now working at a dealership. They changed the pay plan. And so you're going to go look for another dealership. I would say, don't look just at duplicating what you're doing now. Take this opportunity to consider 20 new things. I mean, if you're a great salesperson, look at what other product or service you could sell. I mean, real estate is extremely hot right here in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live, as an example. If you sell a car, you might get a $100 commission. If you sell a million-dollar house, you might get a commission of $30,000. But if you sold one a month, that's $360,000. I doubt you're making that in car sales. But I'm not suggesting real estate. I'm just saying, look at other opportunities. Don't stop there. Look at 19 other opportunities where you could plug in your sales skills knowing that this change is causing you to look for a new opportunity. Broaden what you're looking for. If you have sales skills, sales skills are the most transferable talent area you could possibly have. Every company in the world needs people who are great in sales. I mean, it makes you a candidate for so many opportunities, unlike any other skill set you could identify. It gives you more opportunities. Take this change, unexpected, unwelcome change that's happened and ask, what does this make possible? Now, let me give you another example. I've been kind of quiet about this, but some of you know and are, are talking about it. So I'm going to just share it with you. As you know, I'm speaking from the sanctuary on our property here in Franklin, Tennessee. It's an old barn on the property behind our house that we purchased 12 years ago. So it had this old, ugly trailer out front that I got rid of. And then we made the barn nicer than it had been. So those of you who are here know it's a fun place to hang out. You know, we cleaned it up and, you know, it's got carpet and, you know, nice awning in the front. We didn't change it structurally or anything, but it's just a fun place to hang out. Well, Williamson County Codes, Williamson County being where I live, has decided that I'm not allowed to have any kind of events in this building. I'm not even allowed to have my office in this building. Now here's how this kind of unfolds with the ugly trailer out front. This building was considered just an ancillary building. 
having removed the ugly trailer, which cleaned up the look dramatically, and we cleaned up all kinds of trash and old cars and tree stumps and rocks, we cleaned it up to look, but having cleaned it up and gotten rid of that trailer, that now makes this barn the only building on this property. And they deem this barn to be commercial, not residential, because nobody lives here. And in doing so, it violates the codes for here. Now, that's how it's unfolded. So, this happened about three weeks ago, where I got a letter and then an immediate visit. It was prompted because there was a a lovely young lady who came out and did, she's a reporter, she's a writer, she did a wonderful story on Innovate, the event that we had that was coming up in a couple weeks. Somebody from the county saw that article and said, wow, we don't show a retreat center at that property. We show an old machine shop. That's what triggered this chain of events where they decided very quick fashion that I was to cease and desist, which I got my official paperwork and uh, there's other legal proceedings that are apparently are in play at this time. I immediately pulled live events from our website. You don't hear me talking about coaching with excellence or innovate. We aren't doing those anymore. But now here's the deal. That happened on a Thursday. By sun, by Monday morning, when we have our team meeting, our 48 days team gets together. By Monday morning, I had identified 10 things that we can do that are already in place in 48 days. Things that we can do without creating any new event, product, service, or anything. That we can do with things we already have in place that will more than duplicate the income from the live events that we were having. As an example, you hear me talk about 48 Days Eagles, our membership community. Well, that's growing nicely. You know, if I just focus on that, I mean, I really haven't done much to focus on that specifically, but we've got 16,000 people who are still registered members of 48days.net. If I give them some kind of an incentive to move over, and if we move 250 people over, you know, that's going to create about $10,000 a month or $108,000 a year. I mean, just that one little thing, you know, can we do that? Sure. We've already got about, well, we're at 450 people right now. I intend to be at a thousand by the end of the year anyway. So it's not a big deal to do that. There are other things. I mean, I could, if I want to write another book, I mean, I have publishers that knock on my door figuratively and literally who beg me to give them an opportunity at another book. Could I get No, $150,000 advance. Sure. I'm sure I could set that up if I wanted to write another book. There are other things readily available there because of relationships that I've set up, things that I've put in motion over the years that would readily replace. So instead of seeing, gee, you can't have any events here at the sanctuary anymore, as a downer, my thinking immediately went to, what does this make possible? I told these guys I was eating dinner with last night. I'm like, whack-a-mole. Remember that old game you used to play at carnivals where you hit the mole on the head and he pops up in six other places? Man, that's Dan Miller. You whack him on the head, he's going to pop up in six other ways or do things that you can do. I'm excited about the new things that we're considering. Now, Joanne, my wife, is, is, is grieving over this because having people on our property is a way that we go deep with them that's very difficult to duplicate virtually. I mean, having somebody buy a book or a course or an online community is not the same as having somebody here on our property where we eat meals together, talk together, cry together, hug together, 
it's different. Granted, I realize that we don't know how we're going to replace that part. I mean, we could get other places. I'm sure some of you will suggest just get another place here in Franklin. Yeah, we, we've certainly considered that over the years and we could do that easily, but that changes things. I mean, part of the experience was being here in our property because people get a chance to really see how we live. That was part of the experience. Just meeting at a hotel is not the same. And I'm not sure that I want to do that. So we're looking at other things, but the, the deal is whatever you're faced with. So like a Dave who had a pay plan changed at the dealership, what does this make possible? If you come up with that question, see what happens is so often I talk to people who, you know, lost a job and by golly, they're going to dig their heels in because this just isn't fair. Could I do that here? Sure. I have attorney friends. I could dig my heels in and say, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. You know, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to spend six months in court proceedings to make this zoning change. That's not going to happen. I don't want to spend that much negative energy in that direction. I don't want to look at what's already happened. I want to look at what's coming What's coming next? See, when I work with people and they're angry, they're frustrated, they're resentful, they're guilty, all those negative emotions, I know they're looking at what's already happened. They're looking at the past. As soon as we get clear about what they're moving to, all of a sudden we see boldness, enthusiasm, optimism, start to de- start to replace those negative emotions. I want to spend all my time looking forward at the positive things that are coming, not digging my heels in, being angry and upset and resentful about what's already happened. You know, I mean, the guy that came out here has had his job for 36 years. I feel sorry for the guy. Every encounter he has is negative. Everybody hates his guts when he walks on their property. You know, he's stopping people from doing things all day long. Can you imagine him at a job like that? I mean, I can't. I mean, really, I did. I had him sit down and talk to him, talk to him for an hour. You know, we talked about the the baby fox that are just have just been birthed out on his property. And he was saying, you know, how beautiful our property is here and, you know, how much he'd like to have a place like this. You know, we, I, we talked about other things that he didn't leave in anger. I didn't leave angry at him. He's doing his job. I'd hate to have his job. I feel sorry for him. I'm not going to put myself in a position like that. I'm not going to stay at a job where there's that kind of negative encounter day after day. But, uh, my response to the whole situation, what does this make possible? Well, here's another one, another question that is a very, very similar. This comes from Joe, who says, I'm 58 years old. I've been working at the same car dealership for over 32 years. Sound familiar? Yeah. Business has not been good over the past year, and I've been bored to tears in my position as business manager. So this, so he handles financial insurance. A couple months ago, I started praying that the Lord would open up an opportunity for a new job. I'm tired of driving to the same place of business after all these years, and I feel like I'm wasting away sitting at my desk. The owner must feel that same way as because he told me a business doesn't pick up soon. He'll need to lay me off. This is a very unfamiliar predicament for me. Advice? Absolutely, Joe. What does this make possible? You're in a job that you don't enjoy. There's questions about the success of the business. That's not a great opportunity. Take this as an opportunity, as the stimulant to draw a line in the sand, take a fresh look at what do you bring to the table? What are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are those recurring values, dreams, and passions? 
If you've been there for 32 years, you're a different person now than 32 years ago. You have skills that have been refined. You have new, the, the whole landscape in the workplace has changed in 32 years. My goodness, see, this is an opportunity to take a fresh look at what your unique skills are. Get excited about that and doing the things that you most enjoy. Put yourself out there in a job search and enjoy what you're going to discover. I mean, right here where I live, and this is pretty true, and we know that nationally, I mean, right now, last month, they've upped the number of new jobs that they say have created, been created now to 272,000 new jobs created last month the month of May, this is June, in the month of May, 272,000 new jobs. Unemployment is shown at 3.8%. It hasn't been that in years. That means companies are desperately looking for people. I mean, we can't, you can't throw a stone from where I am here in Tennessee and not hit a we're hiring sign. I mean, UPS is stuffing my mailbox with, you know, we've got part-time positions, $14 an hour. Home Depot has a sign up that essentially says, if you breathe, we want to talk to you. It's that way everywhere. So if you've been at the same dealership for 32 years, wow, what an opportunity to put yourself out in the marketplace. You may discover that you're dramatically underpaid for the value you bring to an organization because you've been at the same place for so long. I mean, when somebody's at the same place, they're typically going to get a three or 4% increase per year. You know, it kind of just goes up little by little. If you change companies, I mean, there are people that double and triple their income in one move because they change companies and really get a fresh understanding of what their value is. Well, Joshua says, thanks for all the good work you've been doing. I benefit a lot from your podcast books, the 48 Days Eagles community, the personality profile. My success story is one of following you for the past two years and being part of the 48 Days community. I've recently started a blog to teach wellness and health while doing the work that I love. My question is, how do you differentiate between naysayers and whiners versus realist and intuitionist? How do you guard your mental positive attitude when you're bombarded with conversations from whiners and procrastinators? Wow. Josh, that is, uh, you know, um, that would, that would be the essence of a book right there. How do you differentiate between naysayers and whiners and realist and intuitionist? When somebody, if I say, you know, next Sunday afternoon, why don't you all come out here on our property? And uh, now you're all friends. You're not business acquaintances at this point. That's illegal. I can't do that. But if you're friends, you can come out to my place. <laughs> so let come out to my place next Sunday and we're going to have a volleyball game outside. Now we might have a realist who says, well, what if it rains? I, I would see them as a pessimist rather than a realist, because man, if I'm going to plan something, Hey, the weather's going to be perfect. You know what? In 12 years, now we've been doing events here at the sanctuary for 12 years. In 12 years, we have never had a two day event where sometime during the course of the two days, we did not take a walking tour of our property. Now you'd think, wow, with rain and snow and all these, you know, things that happen, surely there's times where it just, nope, we have never had a two day event here where we did not take a walking tour. That's just my expectation. 
If we meet on Thursday, Friday, and it rains all day Thursday, I'm not concerned. I'm just confident that there's going to be some time on Friday where it's going to be gorgeous out, and we'll go for that walk. Just the way that I think. How do you differentiate? I think you have to be so clear on what it is that you're moving toward that you recognize if somebody isn't encouraging you in that path, just consider them a naysayer. (laughs) They may see it as being realistic. I mean, my bookkeeper talks about things that I'm doing, you know, that she wants to do something different. Nah, we aren't going to do that. You know, does it make more sense in terms of accounting practices? Yeah, I don't care. I just don't want to do that. You know, she sees it as very practical, realistic kind of thing. And I'm just saying, nah, I'm not interested in doing that. You know, there are a lot of things where I could make more money by doing some of the things that I see done. And yet those things that I see and done make my stomach turn. I'm not going to do that. Could it make more money? Absolutely. I know it could in a heartbeat. Just doesn't interest me. So the, the, the real key here, Josh, is to be so clear in what it is that you are moving toward that you just look for people who are going to support you. Now, not people who just pat you on the back when you're going the wrong direction, but people who can get excited about a new opportunity, a new direction that you want to have. And those people say, oh, you, that ain't never been done. You know, you can't do that. That ain't going to work. Just don't spend time with those people. You know, people, if you come to Nashville and want to be a musician, you're going to run into people say, oh, you know, you missed your opportunity. Gee, you know, Carrie Underwood, Taylor Swift, Garth Brooks, Keith Urban, you know, they were lucky, but you can't do that anymore. Things have changed. You know what that tells you? That tells you they haven't been able to make it work. That's all it tells you. It doesn't say that it can't be done. It says you're talking to somebody who personally has not been able to make it work. And that's what you're going to hear from when you are encountering these naysayers and whiners. You're going to be hearing from people who have not had the success they want in their own lives. Thus, they're going to try to convince you, you can't either. Don't listen to them. Jim says, Jim Bob says, I recently found your podcast, really enjoying the encouragement. My wife, Amy and I are both 48. We have four children, three of whom are still at home. I'm going to go through this because there's a lot of information here that just moved Um, to Franklin from Austin, Texas. Each move was supposed to be a fresh start. Um, Talked about moving a lot. Okay. He's doing some training on LinkedIn to rave reviews, have a couple of potentially well-paying speaking opportunities in the works. Amy, his wife has gone back to work at a lifestyle furniture company. She's, um, she's doing work in interior design. Has a good flair for it. Uh, but it's hourly, doesn't pay very much for all they expect of her. Her dream is to own her own store where she hand selects and even creates home decor items to sell. She's also a consultant for Rodan and Fields. God, they're what, a, that's a skincare company, consistently bringing in a few hundred ex- extra dollars a month. We've recently begun researching retail arbitrage through FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, something we dabbled in before, selling our old books on Amazon, couponing to buy groceries. We even taught courses on how to do it, created an online course a few years back that made a few thousand dollars at the time. So here's his question. Lots of detail in here, but here's Jim Bob's question. Are we too scattered? Do we have too many things going on to do any of them well? 
we'd really like to get in our zone of genius individually and as a couple, and even if possible as a family. My daughters are very creative, could be involved in a home decor business with us if we got that going. Sometimes it feels like too much, but the goals are our own home, income that we can do together so we can travel when we want, have a home all the kids and grandkids can come back to often. Well, Jim Bob, here's what I would, I, I would say yes. You, you describe way too many things to do them effectively, primarily because there's not a real clear overlap in that activity in one fuels and supports activity in another one. If you were doing things where activity in one embraced activity in another, here's an example. And I use a Venn diagram. I use three circles. So if you draw three circles where they overlap, you know, at some point, all three overlap together. For me, writing is in that center. But then I have speaking, coaching, our live events, product development, mastermind, membership site, other kind of things that we do, but they're all tied together. They're all under this same umbrella of ultimately helping people find their passion, find their greatest God-given talent, and turning that into work that is profitable, purposeful, you know, from day one. So they all are under that same umbrella. It's not like, I mean, at one time I had an auto accessories business, so I could be putting a cruise control on a little Honda for the new Honda dealership and realize that 30 minutes later, I was to be teaching a class at the university where I was an adjunct professor. So they were things that were not not connected. They were, I would put on different hats. That's the problem in what I see with what you're doing. Not that there's too many things, but that you are just switching hats. And I think that'll keep your success limited rather than exponentially growing. If you could do things, if it's all around interior decor and design, as an example, you could be creating a course on that. You could be doing coaching training people individually. You could have a little shop. You could go on shopping sprees with people and help them. You could develop eight different things that you're doing, but they're all connected so that activity in any one fuels activity in the others. That's the thing that you have to do. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Well, um, here's an audio clip from David. I'm going to play this because he's pretty straightforward what he's asking here. Check this out and we'll talk about how to keep yourself motivated. Hello, Dan. How are you? This is Dave Valentine. I have the Surging Forward podcasting show, and I'm also a member of the Eagles group, which I really do enjoy. I get a lot of encouragement on that. But, you know, I do my weekly podcast, but I work full time, and I'm trying to get this going. I also teach on the side, and I'm really finding a hard time to get the motivation to get some of my online courses out. Um, I do online courses for license renewal, but I have all these outlines in my head ready to do leadership courses. And sometimes it seems like I just struggle with trying to get them out, just keep running out of time and don't have enough places to get all the resources in. So uh, how do you get yourself rejuvenated sometimes? I often wonder, you know, the podcasts are always great, but how do you keep yourself rejuvenated? But again, I love your show. Everything's great and uh, have a great day. God bless. Well, David, thanks for your question. Certainly a common one. How do you keep yourself motivated when the result, the reward, the benefit may be a long time off? But you know, that is exactly the distinguishing characteristic between people who just stay at the bottom of the barrel and people who have extraordinary success. 
People who have extraordinary success are able to take a long-term perspective. I mean, Dave Ramsey and I used to talk about this back in the early days. I mean, we can really understand it clearly. If you are renting a house to somebody who makes $10 an hour, you better collect rent once a week, not once a month, once a week, because their time frame is so short. They get a paycheck on Friday. It's all gone on Monday. They start over again. Collect rent once a week. When you have somebody that starts to make $70,000, $80,000 a year, they're thinking, oh, next year, you know, we're going to go to Disneyland. Next year, we're going to start a Roth IRA. You know, next year, we're going to go on a cruise. They're thinking longer ahead because their income is higher. Then you get somebody who's making half a million dollars a year. They're thinking five and 10 years out. They can tell you what they're going to be doing five years from now. Now, the question then is the chicken and the egg, which comes first? You think, well, if I was making $500,000 a year, yeah, I'd think five years out as well. Well, but the reverse is true as well. If you can clearly plan out where you want to be three years from now and know what your priorities are there, guess what? Those bigger opportunities will make more sense to you. As an example, if you're writing, if you're creating a course, so you're creating a course. Now you got a regular job, you get a paycheck on Friday, just the normal kind of thing. You're writing a course, man, if you get that out there, it may be a year before you ever generate a penny of income because you have to put it together, do some videos, put it together in some kind of a learning management system to get it up online. You want to get it up in Udemy or creative live or lynda.com. One of those things. It takes a lot of steps to get to the point where you ever get the first dollar but that's the distinguishing characteristic of high achievers. They're able to maintain their motivation, knowing that the goal is a long time off. If you want to write a book, if you decide today that you want to write a book, chances are, if you go through any kind of a traditional process, chances are you won't see a penny from that for two years from today. It takes two years to go through the process to get to that point where you might create income. Now true, you can do an ebook and put it up on create space, you know, and do that quickly. But I'm talking about if you want to get a book deal with random house, the biggest publisher in the world or with Thomas Nelson, you know, which I did my last book with, you know, you're looking at a two year time frame. But the thing is, if you can see where you want to be three years from now, then you do the things that make deposits in the success that you want to be experiencing three years out. And if you do so, then you start, it's like, you know, pumping, pumping water with an old hand pump, man, you don't know where the water is. You don't know if it's still 200 feet down or if it's 20 feet down, but you got to really keep the pressure on it until that water starts to flow. And that's how it is with these kind of projects. You keep working on it until the water starts to flow. Get clear on where you want to be, David, three years from now, that will keep, don't expect somebody else to make you motivated, to encourage you, to push you. No, you're in a space where you have to do that yourself. But the key is that you believe in the end result so strongly, you've already visualized what that's going to mean for you, that it does provide the motivation to keep you going in that direction. Great question. Love your question. This comes from BW says, I remember um, you talking about sending companies a resume, but what do I say in that resume? I'm just about to graduate with a master's in accounting. How do I say that I'm looking for an entry level accounting position while I complete the CPA exam? How do I say I'm willing to work from the ground up and learn the business and what the company does? Well, here's the deal. 
If you say you're looking for an entry-level position, you don't have your CPA yet, you're willing to just kind of get in there and sweep the floors or, you know, sort the mail, guess what they're going to give you? You're going to be sweeping the floors and sorting the mail. Be careful about describing yourself as having no experience, not even completing your certification yet. You know, they're going to put you at the very bottom of the barrel. It's not going to see you as a strong player at all. You want to come into this talking about competencies that you have already refined. You may have things that you've done in accounting or in a business setting, even if it were things that you were not paid for. Doesn't, you don't, you don't have to be paid for, but if there were things that you did that prove your competence, list those things, but go out there. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're 16 years old looking for your first job, you need to come across as somebody really attractive that somebody's going to want on their team, not just as kind of a newbie, a beginner, not really being up to speed yet. It's going to sabotage your efforts. You'll end up thinking nobody's hiring and that's not true. So put your best foot forward, even if you are still in school and looking for that first job. This comes from uh, Byron. I currently work at a steel shop, make a good wage. I have an associate's degree in accounting and I'm, and I'm continuing my education to become a CPA. I make enough money to support my family now. I want to use my associate's degree, but I fear that I will not make enough as a sole breadwinner in my family. Should I try to find a job now or keep my current one and get more education? Boy, this is a, this is a tough multifaceted question, Byron. And this is a real malady. We've got where you're working in a steel shop. So working in a steel shop, let's say that you're making uh, $25 an hour working in a steel shop. And now you want to come a CPA, just a beginning CPA. And you may get a position where you're going to be paid $20 you're going to be rewarded for your advanced academic degree by getting a decrease in income. I mean, think about it. If you are a good Ferrari mechanic, you're going to make 70 bucks an hour. You know, if you're a plumber, I mean, I just had a guy out here, really neat guy. I'll use him from now on. He came out here and did a little job for me. He was here for, he was here for an hour and it was 275 bucks. It was just a standard fee to put in a, a certain plumbing valve that I needed to have put in. And I didn't complain about that. I mean, the part, I mean, the, the parts were probably, the parts were probably less than $15 and I paid him $275 for his hour out here. Just a cool guy. He's a plumber. I mean, there are a lot of trades where you're going to make more money than a beginning accountant or CPA for sure. So you have to be realistic about that. You know, if you really want to have a significant income, then you're going to have to look at, okay, what are you going to be able to do to set yourself apart from the normal CPA? What are you going to do to set yourself apart from somebody who's just getting a start, even with a professional degree? That's what you got to do. You got to set yourself apart. Now you can do that as an independent CPA. You can do all kinds of things. You may find another application where you start your own business, but to just get a job. Yeah, that's a problem with a lot of our academic degrees today. They position you to get a job that pays less than if you just walk into Home Depot over here and start, you know, helping people in the garden department. Just be realistic about it. If it provides a different kind of lifestyle that you've really been anticipating, looking forward to, hey, congratulations. Make that change. But if you really are looking at this as a way to increase your income, You're going to have some challenges if you stay within the traditional confines of how that CPA is applied. Great question. 
Well, how you can tell by the music in the background there, we're at the end of our time. Great spending this time with you. Check out the 48dayseagles.com. That's the most exciting thing I've got going right now. Uh, believe me, I don't need it to grow to replace income from live events, but it's going to happen anyway. I mean, it's inevitable. I see what's happening. People are coming in every day, sharing their ideas, sharing ideas and resources readily to help everybody's success increase. Love, love, love what's happening. Yeah, I've got a whole lot of things in place. Uh, I don't lay away awake at night concerned about um, the county telling me I can't do what I want to do here in the sanctuary hey we'll see how that pans out I'll give you an update in six months we'll see how that pans out I got some ideas that we're going to pursue I've already talked to my uh, Tennessee state representative who says this is an example of government overreach and that I should stand solid so yeah things need to change there's a whole lot of people doing little businesses from home like I am uh, here and where you are as well. It's a change in the workplace, and some of the old laws just don't make sense anymore. So we'll look at how to bring those up to speed. Hey, thanks for being part of this group where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.